Hello, my name is Chiara Giorgetti, and I'm a professor of law at Richmond Law School and a senior fellow at the International Claims and Reparations Center at Columbia Law School. Welcome to the third lecture of this mini-series on international investment law. In the first lecture, I introduced IIL and situated it in the larger context of public international law. I then explore some introductory and key concepts unique to IIL, and specifically the definition of foreign investor and of foreign investment. In my second lecture, I focused on the main substantive principles that characterize IIL, including FET and provisions related to expropriation. In my third lecture today, I will explore the unique dispute settlement feature of IIL, and namely, International Investment Arbitration, or Investor-State Dispute Settlement, ISDS. And in my fourth and final lecture, I will discuss some of the criticism that IIL and ISDS are facing and some of the ongoing reform processes that have resulted thereof. Historically, an individual or a corporation who wanted to bring a claim against a foreign state for breach of its rights under international customary law could not do that directly but had to get the espousal of its claim by the country of its nationality or incorporation. This was very difficult and cumbersome. One had to convince their state to bring a case against another state, which may also have important politically, not only legal and financial ramifications. So, more than 60 years ago, under the auspices of the World Bank, countries from around the world came together and recognized the importance of cross-boundary private investment flows for economic development. They recognized that an essential element to stimulate investment was the need to provide investors with a security and stability for their investments through a system offering international legal protection and an international settlement of investment disputes. On the other side, host states could not be host would not be hostages to the so-called gunboat diplomacy. To this end, and in order to ensure global consensus, the World Bank held a series of regional consultative meetings with governments experts from 86 countries, resulting in the adoption in 1965 of the Convention on the Settlement of Investment Disputes between states and nationals of other states, also called the ICSID Convention, and, based on that convention, the creation of the International Center for Settlement of Investment Disputes, the ICSID Secretariat, which sits in Washington, D.C., as a specialized forum for arbitration and conciliation of investor-state disputes. The broad objective of the Convention is to facilitate foreign investment and economic development by providing a neutral forum for the settlement of disputes between states adhering to the Convention and foreign investors that are nationals of a member state. The ICSI Convention has been a very successful Convention, which has, as to September 2022, 165 contracting states. Arbitration under ICSID has several unique attributes designed specifically to balance the competing interests of states on one side and investors on the other. This kind of arbitration is also generally referred to as investor-state arbitration or international investment arbitration, IIA. Investor-state arbitration in investment disputes do not only occur at ICSID under the ICSID Convention rules, and in fact, it is now the preferred method for resolving disputes in IIL. IIA offers unique and quite remarkable characteristics. In investor-state dispute settlement, the parties are on one side the claimant, the foreign investor, and on the other side the respondent, the host state. And the dispute relates to a foreign investment 
made by the claimant and specifically relates to whether the state has violated any of the protections it owed to the claimant. I have examined what are foreign investors and foreign investments in Lecture 1 and the protections owed to such foreign investors in Lecture 2. The home state is not a party in ISDS proceedings, though it is party to the BIT under which the arbitration is brought. ISDS has become a standard feature to BITs to date, and it reflects each state state's consent to resolve disputes peacefully through international arbitration. But in the arbitration itself, we have an investor and a state, not two states. The dispute is between the foreign investor and the state that hosts the investment. BITs address many details relating to ISDS. First, what, procedure rules, what procedural rules govern the arbitration? Most BITs specify that either ICSI or the UN Commission on International Trade Law ANSIDRA, rules would apply to the procedure of the dispute. Second, what institution will provide administrative support for the arbitration? Almost all investor state arbitration are supported either by the ICSID Secretariat or by the Permanent Court of Arbitration, or PCA. Others include the Stockholm Chamber of Commerce, the International Chamber of Co Commerce, and the London Court of International Arbitration. Let me explain some of these issues more in depth. Most international investment treaties provide for ISDS, which grants investors the right to challenge laws and measures of the host government in front of an international arbitral tribunal, as I mentioned. The 1962 BIT between Italy and Chad was the first to adopt arbitration as a dispute resolution mechanism for investment disputes. Most BITs and other international investment agreements now offer international investment arbitration, either by itself or as an alternative to domestic courts. Most recently, however, this private dispute resolution mechanism has become a controversial element of investment law and has been criticized for allegedly being excessively pro-investor and for undermining states' regulatory ability. Some criticism will be discussed later in my fourth and final lecture. The legal framework for international investment arbitration is generally found in the ICSID Convention or in other applica applicable international arbitration rules. The ICSID Convention does not contain substantive standards for the protection of investments or investors. Rather, it provides a procedural framework for parties to settle disputes using international arbitration. The Convention provides that disputes between a member state and a foreign investor, as defined by the Convention itself, are resolved by a panel of three arbitrators, one selected by the claimant, one selected by the respondent, and one the presiding arbitrator selected by agreement of the parties or the arbitrators, or failing that by an external appointing authority. The prerogative of choosing an arbitrator to decide on the dispute is a key feature of international arbitration and one of the main reasons why parties choose arbitration over domestic or other international proceedings. Other reasons include the fact that arbitration can be decided relatively fast and the fact that awards, i.e. the decision of the arbitral tribunals, are general, generally relatively easy to implement and enforce. And in, case they are easier to enforce than, in any case, they are easier to enforce than domestic judgments. Awards cannot be appealed and the extent of possible review is limited. Indeed, awards issued by an ICSID tribunal are binding and enforceable in the territory of all ICSID member states. In accordance with Article 54 of the ICSID Convention, all contracting states 
must recognize an award certified by the Secretary General of the Center, of the Center as binding, and any pecuniary obligations resulting from the award must be enforced as a final decision of their own courts. Thus, every state member to the ICSID Convention is obligated to an automatic enforcement of any ICSID award, which makes ICSID a very attractive dispute resolution mechanism. ICSID is a self-contained system, and post-award remedies are limited to requests for interpretation, revision, or annulment of the award. Article 52.2 of the Convention identifies only five grounds for annulment, which are the only basis upon which a party may rely on to submit an application for annulment. These five grounds are, first, that the tribunal was not properly constituted, second, that the tribunal had manifestly exceeded its powers, third, that there was corruption on the part of a member of the tribunal, fourth, that there was been a serious departure from a fundamental rule of procedure, and finally, fifth, that the award had failed to state the reasons on which it is based. The main ISDS alternative to using exit arbitration using the rules developed by the UN Commission on International Trade Law, ANCITRAL. When using ANCITRAL rules, parties also select one arbitrator each, and a three-member tribunal will be headed by a president, appointed by an external appointing authority. Procedurally, ANCITRAL rules are quite similar to those found in the ICSID Convention, though the definition of who can be a claimant is more limited as ICSID in Article 25, as we saw in the first lecture, bar, bar those dual nationals who also have the nationality of the host state. Non-ICSID disputes are often administered by the Secretariat of the Permanent Court of Arbitration, which sits in The Hague. It can be enforced and reviewed under the 1958 New York Convention on the Recognition and Enforcement of Foreign Arbitral Awards, or New York Convention, another treaty that enjoys wide ratification and facilitates the enforcement of awards. Under the New York Convention, the review of awards by domestic courts is also limited. Other arbitral institutions include the Stockholm Chamber of Commerce, or SCC, the London Court of International Arbitration, or LCIA, and the ICC, the International Chamber of Commerce. When using ICSID or other rules of an institution, it is important to remember that investors', prote investors protections derive from the BIT or other international treaty, such as, for example, the Energy Charter Treaty, a contract between the parties or from domestic law. The great majority of cases are treaty-based. Arbitral institutions only provide a framework to bring a case and provide assistance to administer and manage the case. They may also act as registrar and secretary of the tribunal, and in certain instances may provide additional services, such as limited legal research. The selection of the arbitral tribunal is one of the most delicate and important procedural steps in any investment arbitration. When a party considers the appointment of an arbitrator, it will look into her previous arbitral decisions and her writings, as well as her legal education, languages spoken, and many other characteristics that would make her the right choice for the case. Arbitrators must be at all times independent and impartial, and maintain the highest moral standards. Some rules also require specific knowledge or competence, for example, in the field of law. Under most rules, it is not necessary to be a lawyer, but in practice, most arbitrators are indeed lawyers and have acted as counsel or arbitrators in other arbitrations prior to ISDS appointments. 
Most rules also provide that arbitrators should not have the nationality of either of the parties involved in the dispute. Requests for annulments are heard by a different panel of arbitrators called ad hoc committees. These are also composed of three members, all of them appointed by ICSID from the panel of arbitrators. The ICSID convention in fact entitles each member state to designate up to four persons each to the panel of arbitrators, and the chair of the administrative council of ICSID may also designate up to ten persons. The panel of arbitrators is used for appointments to ad hoc annulment committees and to appoint arbitrators where the parties are unable to agree on a person. Parties may propose a disqualification of an arbitrator once the tribunal is constituted on account of any fact indicating a manifest lack of the qualities which are required to serve, and namely a lack of independent and or impartiality. Under ICSID rules, challenges to an arbitrator are decided by the other members of the tribunal or by the chairperson of, ICS of the ICSID administrative tribunal if the arbitrators are equally divided, or in the recently approved 2022 rules, when the arbitrators are not subject to they are not subject to challenges, are for any reason unable to decide. Under most other rules, the decision is taken by a third party, the appointing authority. Of late, there have been greater recourse to procedures for the challenge of arbitrators, including for related or multiple appointments, or so-called double-heading, which means when an arbitrator also acts as counsel or expert in other ISDS or international cases. However, challenges to arbitrators have most often resulted in the dismissal of the challenge itself and the confirmation of the appointment of the arbitrators. In terms of procedure, international investment arbitrations follow, uh, follows other international proceedings. There is a written and then an oral phase. The written phase will generally consist of two rounds of pleadings per party, including a memorial, a counter-memorial, a reply and a rejoinder. Parties may, and often do, submit with their pleadings written testimonies rendered by witnesses and expert opinions. Written pleadings are generally quite voluminous. The oral phase, consisting of a hearing, is often, but not always, held behind closed doors. It typically involves a presentation by the parties, followed by the examination of selected witnesses and the testimony of experts who had previously presented a written statement. Tribunal members often put questions to the party councils, the witnesses and experts, and are quite involved in the proceedings. Jurisdictional objections may be dealt with as a preliminary question if the tribunal chooses to bifurcate the proceedings of the parties' requests for the, bifur for the bifurcation of their proceedings, and may be or may be considered with the merits. At times, parties may even trifurcate proceedings, meaning there will be a jurisdictional, a merit, and then finally a quantum phase. Consistent with the principle of a competence-competence, which is generally applicable to arbitration proceedings, an international investment arbitral tribunal will itself be the judge of its own competence and will rule on any objection to the jurisdiction or the competence of the tribunal. Investment tribunals have also the power to grant provisional measures to preserve the right of either party if they consider that the circumstances so require. Amici Curia submissions are often possible in international investment arbitration, as increasingly cases decided by arbitral tribunals relate to sensitive matters that may raise issues of public concern, including issues related to the environment and health. Non-disputing parties, such as civil society groups and NGOs, may now have the possibility to submit written submissions and attend or observe 
all or part of the hearing. In the Philip Morris versus Uruguay case, which I discussed in Lecture 2, for example, WHO submitted an amicus curia brief. After deliberations, which take place in private, it remains secret, the tribunal declares the proceedings closed and issues a reasoned written award dealing with the questions submitted by the parties, which is decided by majority vote of its members. Dissenting opinions are possible and are indeed often used by arbitrators. Remedies will take the form of the payment of, a monetary, of monetary damages, which can be substantial. For example, a case brought by three shareholders of oil company Yukos against Russia and heard at the PCA under ancestral rules resulted in an award worth over 40 billion US dollars, the largest known to date. Generally, the award decides and allocates also costs for the expenses of the proceedings as well as interest owed on the compensation. Often, the losing parties is asked to pay a bigger share of the cost. The use of international investment arbitration exploded in the 1990s. By then, in fact, many, but many BITs and other international agreements signed in the 70s and 80s and which provided for clearly defined international legal rights in dispute settlement through international arbitration became the basis for claims arising out of covered investment. They were then ripe for resolution. Correspondingly, a wave of cases emerged. The investment policy had by UNCTAD, the UN Conference on Trade and Development, and more specifically, the Investment Dispute Settlement Navigator, um, a source that I highly recommend, shows that a total of 1,190 cases are, exist by the end of 2021, of which 370 are pending, and there are eight, more than 800 cases concluded. In the first part of 2022 itself, ICSID had registered over 44 cases. The latest ICSID case law statistics, which is based on cases registered or administered by ICSID as of June 30, 2022, and started in 1966, when the Convention entered into force, shows that cases came from all the regions of the world. Focusing on the state part involved, these statistics show, for example, that about 26% of the cases come from Eastern Europe and Central America, 22% from South America, and 15% from the Middle East and North Africa. The cases cover all economic sectors, including oil, gas and mining, electric power, construction, transportation, finance, information and communication, water, sanitation and flood protection, and many others. In terms of outcomes, about 36% of the disputes are settled or otherwise discontinued, so over the third, and 65% are decided by the tribunal. Of these, 30% uphold claims in part or in full, 19% dismiss all claims, and about 14% decline jurisdiction. In recent years, ISDS has been also the subject of some criticism. This has been the case especially since investment arbitration has increasingly and is increasingly being used to resolve disputes related to public goods, such as environmental protection, sovereign debt, and public health, which call for greater scrutiny by the general public. We have examined some cases in Lecture 2 and 1. Critics allege that ISDS lacks transparency, is controlled by a small group of repeat players, and is tilted in favour of the investor, while undermining state powers. The latest exit statistics show that state-appointed arbitrators are still mostly Western European or North American, despite cases coming from all over the world, as we've just seen.
Specifically, the data show that 46% of the arbitrators are from Western Europe and 20% come from North America, Canada, Mexico, the US. It also shows an, abys an abysmal lack of gender diversity, with 86% of appointed arbitrators are men and only 14% being women. These criticisms have generated ample discussion by users, and ISDHS has demonstrated a certain flexibility in responding to this criticism. A new Convention on Transparency in Arbitration, which assures more transparency, especially in oral proceedings, for example, has been signed and has recently, in 2017, entered into force. Also, newly negotiated treaties seem to strengthen the position of the state, for example, by explicitly, explicitly recognizing the state's regulatory power and by limiting the definition of certain states' obligation and thus recalibrating the power relation between investors and states. Moreover, alternatives to ISDS, such as the creation of a permanent investment tribunal, have been suggested, for example, in CETA. In my fourth and final lecture, I will address some of these criticisms and also examine some reform proposals. Thank you for your attention to this lecture.